Welcome to Saxo Bank's Essential Trades podcast, the first of two discussing the outlook for the first quarter of 2016. Mind the Gap is the title of the publication available on tradingfloor.com, and in it the Saxo strategy team looks at what will happen as the US Federal Reserve embarks on the first rate hiking cycle in almost a decade. I'm Marie-Louise Moller, and joining me is Mass Kofud, Head of Macro Strategy here at Saxo, John Hardy, Head of FX Strategy, and Ole Hansen, Head of Commodity Strategy. But before we talk about the Fed and interest rates, let's take a quick look at the very volatile start to the year. Do you think volatility will be a dominant theme throughout the quarter? What are your thoughts, John? Uh, yes, I think volatility is a very big theme, and we're seeing that uh, already to kick off the new year, as we're seeing, uh, uh, interestingly, developments out of China, which some of which we've discussed in our outlook, uh, particularly related to the Chinese equity market, but uh, even more importantly, the revaluation and devaluation of the Chinese currency. This has really set markets on edge, and we're seeing a tremendous acceleration in volatility, risk, risky assets selling off. The fear is that China is somehow losing control of the situation to a degree, and markets are very concerned what this means for, for global growth. So we've sort of stolen the focus away from the Fed's rate hike cycle suddenly just two weeks after uh, that first rate hike was in the bag. And now we're all have our eyes set on China. And uh, both of these issues are potential contributors to uh, volatility. Uh, wh- wh- what is the direction for the Chinese currency and Chinese markets and the reduction of liquidity from, from Fed rate hikes? Uh, and especially if the U.S. economy continues to strengthen, what does that mean for for risky assets globally, which were so bid up on very easy central bank liquidity for so long after the global financial crisis? Now, we'll talk more about China later, but as you mentioned there, the big story, of course, this quarter is the Fed. And Mass, if we look at at the Fed embarking on this rate hiking cycle, how big a game changer is that, given that it's the first in almost a decade? Well, you said it yourself, it's the first one in nearly a decade from the world's largest economy. And uh, we are, of course, uh, especially if you look at emerging markets, we have a concern as to whether they can handle the coming rate hike cycle or the ongoing rate hike cycle that we have now in the U.S., especially those that are exp- have exposure to commodities, uh, which are, of course, crashing, especially energy, and also those with heavy uh, exposure to U.S.-denominated debt. If we instead, or if we look at the U.S. economy itself, then I think it's uh, very strong and can easily handle these very mild increases that we're currently seeing in the uh, in the central bank uh, rate key rate. Uh, and my key argument for that is that uh, actually, given that we're coming from such a weak uh, economic outlook uh, for the U.S. a couple of years ago, and now now that the FOMC is sending its signal that it can. Uh, hike rates, it could provide a confidence boost not only to investments, but also to consumers and crucially also to banks, which could uh, turn around and uh, increase their margins, thereby actually easing lending standards for consumers and uh, companies as well. So that's uh, like a feedback loop where we could actually see investment and consumption increase in the US on the back of these uh, rate hikes that we expect to continue in 2016. So it's not enough, or it won't derail the U.S. economy just yet. That will be a 2017 or even 18 story, not a 2016 story. So it could be pretty good for the U.S. economy, but bad for emerging markets, and especially those who are deep in debt, U.S. debt, or relying on U.S. debt and commodities at the same time. And the commodity space, what's the outlook for that, Ola? 
Well, it's been a phenomenal, uh, interesting start to the year, and uh, as you uh, as we've, you mentioned, uh, we've we've been focused on the U.S. Fed, and uh, we, we, the, the changes just over the past uh, the first start of the year has has obviously uh, made some alterations in the direction of the markets. Uh, just take a look at gold. Uh, just like last year, it's it's, it's been coming out uh, running out of the, the starting block this year uh, because the focus was basically on the uh, the trajectory of U.S. interest rates uh, going into next year or this year. Uh, that that was obviously having a negative. Uh, price pressure on, on gold, but now with uh, with uh, Chinese Wong uh, devaluing, now we with all the uncertainty we had in stock markets, uh, we see a lot of short covering coming into gold. So we we back above 1100. The upside the upside potential is, is probably limited because once we see uh, the currency developments there in China stabilize, we'll see the market start to revert, focusing on the U.S. And uh, as Mass says, the uh, the outlook for U.S. looks uh, looks uh, solid, and uh, that will probably keep the uh, the upside for gold to cap at this stage. But obviously, overall, the, the big focus is, is the energy prices. We've uh, we've had uh, we've seen a new low in in, uh, in crude oil. We hit thirty dollars almost in WTI and Brent. If you look at the OPEC basket, it's trading below thirty. In Canada, uh, Canada's heavy crude is trading below twenty, way below production cost. So what we're seeing here is, is just that that the the acceleration to the downside will bring forward the the uh, the normalization because it will uh, it will we will see producers start to uh, scale back because they basically run out of money but uh, but uh, it's it's um it's a it's a it's a challenging time for the for the oil sector and uh, and the market is is obviously um, looking for further weakness at this stage what's the anticipated time frame of of demand demand destruction sorry supply destruction from these low prices for example for shale oil in the US and in this Canadian oil sands that you mentioned well, we've seen uh, Canadian uh, producers scale back already. We've seen some of the weak. Uh, we've seen quite a few defaults already in the in US during the final quarter. Uh, that will continue as we move into uh, deep into 16. But the time scale scale has probably been pushed out a bit because uh, with the recent developments in China, and that's one, probably one of the reasons why we've seen this extreme weakness here at the beginning of the year, is that we've been so focused on 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 rising supply and oversupply, and whilst anticipating that demand growth would remain strong, but now with uh, with China obviously being the biggest import of crude oil in the world being hitting uh, hitting a few stumbling blocks then people started to worry about the demand uh, outlook as well so if you have demand not keeping up uh, as expected and your st- supply is still strong then obviously that is pointing to lower for prices but i think uh, it was goldman sachs mentioning last year that uh, oil could reach 20 dollars and um, and, but also, they were also saying at the same time, if we do that, then obviously the normalization will happen a lot faster because that will, uh, will basically kill off production much quicker if the, the faster the price falls. So, um, but it will not be this uh, first half. We'll see uh, oil price start to stabilize and potentially move back up towards the, the 50-55 area towards the end of the year. But uh, this first quarter will be very challenging. It will be indeed. John, if we look at the pace, let's return to the Fed now and look at the pace of of how quickly it will hike rates. What are the market expectations and how are you reading the Fed indications? Is there a, a gap there? There's, there is a gap, and that gap has only gotten uh, bigger here at the beginning of the year because all this uh, market turmoil has seen the, the market downgrading its, the expected trajectory of Fed rate, uh, rate hikes. So coming into the year, we were at about two and a half rate hikes if we looked at the end of 2016. Uh, the Fed itself keeping a forecast in the December of, uh, accompanying materials of a pace of about four rate hikes for the year, so 100 basis points. And if we say that now we're, we're at two or slightly below, and the Fed forecast was for uh, four, if U.S. data continues to improve and we get over this turmoil from China after the Chinese New Year, for example, uh, what if the Fed needs to do six or 
six rate hikes. But even four with a projection of four more to come would be a tremendous upgrade from, from a market that is, that is pricing in a very shallow trajectory also beyond this year. So uh, it, it's about how that whole back end of the curve, uh, uh, the, the steepness of the back end of the curve, uh, how it behaves to, to see where this, this, um, this, this dollar can go, I think, this year. And of course, with the Fed hiking, um, the ECB easing, the divergence story becomes even more apparent. Um, a few thoughts on, on how the divergence between Europe and, and the U.S. is, is going to impact markets, Mass? Well, first of all, of course, uh, euro dollar is an interesting thing to look at, and I'm sure John can uh, provide some use as well, but it's interesting to to me to know that the fundamental support is there for, for euro dollar to head lower. And I still expect that we'll see four rate hikes this year from the FMC, uh, unless, of course, volatility continues up to the March FMC meeting. Then they could postpone it as they did in September of last year, uh, signing exactly that market volatility. But other than that, I expect due to a very strong US economy, uh, we'll see four rate hikes, which should support uh, further euro dollar weakness. But on the other hand, of course, it is a crowded trade. So perhaps the potential is not as large as otherwise suggested by the fundamentals. John, your views on, on euro dollar? Yeah, I think um, as uh, effectively just uh, uh, expressing my own view. The, the key thing, I think, for divergence, the, the idea late last year on the divergence story was that we would have uh, ECB actively easing at the same time that the Fed is... Uh, is hiking. And now with that December ECB meeting disappointment, it really shocked the markets in a very crowded trade. Now we have this whole China issue pulling the market completely off focus away from the dollar and, and wondering if a, a Chinese blow up is going to happen. I think maybe the fears are exaggerated on the, on the Chinese front. And, and I think we, we need to see some, though, we do need to see some stabilization in that issue to get this divergent story working and to see your dollar back to parity. And below, which remains my forecast, uh, below parity by the end of the year. Um, However, if we have some disorderly situation in China, as, as Kane said, uh, as, as the information, as the situation changes, I change my opinion. What do you do, sir? Uh, was one of his uh, rather uh, interesting quotes, which I think is, is very fitting because China is a very important factor. And of course, they do need to stay on top of, of this uh, uh, difficult situation and transition. Yeah, I think uh, on, on uh, basically on these assumptions, uh, as, as Mass mentioned and uh, John mentioned with the trajectory of the dollar and uh, with the number of rate hikes in the U.S., this is clearly not was something that uh, the gold market is prepared for now after the rally we've seen uh, recently. So, so at this stage, um, if you are looking to get back into uh, into the yellow metal, uh, you should probably be be uh, be very patient because uh, with with the dollar going higher, uh, with the rate hikes uh, being more than the market expecting, uh, that the risk that we we could see a new low uh, over the next uh, few months, or at least this, well, within this quarter, or maybe into the second, is still quite quite high. So um, I think still over the year, we'll, uh, with the China story and uh, with the uh, with the physical demand still remaining strong from central banks, uh, uh, we we may we may see actually gold uh, finish higher in the year. But uh, but in in the short term, the, I think you should sit on your sit on the fence because uh, what we've seen so far has primarily been short covering. ETF investors are still sitting on the fence. Uh, and, and they're not really getting engaged, could indicate that they are really not uh, looking at this as a buying opportunity just, just yet. So wait for, the, uh, wait for the potential weakness later in the, in the quarter. But um, uh, regarding China, again, of course, it's what we're talking about uh, mainly. You have to keep in mind that there are two uh, sides to the story. There's the technical side with uh, uh, asset prices in China rising very rapidly uh, last, uh, last year uh, before the, the crash we're seeing now and also the whole issue with the circuit breakers and so on. So that's the technical side. But we also have the longer term structural 
uh, picture. And we have to remember that the China slowing down story is nothing new. And with the US dollar having strengthened for more than a year now, that story also is nothing new. So that global demand, uh, or sorry, global um, manufacturing is having a current crisis should not come as a surprise. And that will, of course, hamper one of the largest economies exposed to manufacturing, namely uh, China. But it's also hurting US manufacturing is, is weak in the US as well. We've seen two prints in a row for the ISM manufacturing below 50 indicating contraction. But where uh, we're seeing manufacturing being weak in the US, we have to remember that every time we see lower oil prices, that's hurting manufacturing. But is this actually a tax cut in effect for the much larger, around 85%, uh, which is the services sector? For them, it's a tax cut, and that's why we're seeing a very strong services sector in the US, and why I expect the US economy to do that well this year. That's a very good point, Mass, because if you look at the Chinese economy as well now, we are, we, we are weaning off uh, an export uh, and investment-driven economy towards a service sector-driven economy. And obviously the service sector, I believe, is the strong, fastest-growing sector now in China. It's obviously not as commodity-intensive as, as, uh, as the investment and the export uh, side. So, so commodity demand in China will have to adjust to this new situation. So even though commodity demand is falling, it's not necessarily an expression that China's economy is weakening further. It's just they're changing their, it's just a change in, in, the, in the mix of, of how the economy is, is, is set up. So, so it will obviously impact some of the, uh, some of the, uh, the, the cyclical commodities, uh, industrial metals, iron ore has been under pressure for a while. But if you look at gasoline, for instance, gasoline demand has been going up uh, some of the high-end uh, industrial metals, aluminium, zinc, has been going up as well. So, so um, we're just seeing a shift, shift in commodity uh, demand structure into China because we're seeing a shift in, in how the economy is, is working. So I'm getting here the impression that the fundamentals are, are, are good, um, but the whole China issue is very important for sentiment. Is that correct, John? Well, I think there, there are potentially some positive, or maybe, maybe some of the negatives have been over, uh, overplayed, and, and, or, or the fear of a, of a disorderly situation has been overplayed. But China does face some significant challenges, and it does need to reflate its economy, and it has a tremendous uh, credit and debt bubble that, uh, that needs to be addressed. And one of the classic ways, things you need to avoid in such a situation is, is, is debt deflation. They need, to, they need to reflate, and their currency inappropriately follow the, the dollar stronger due to a long-term, uh, more or less peg to the U.S. dollar, it was sort of a crawling peg. Now they're clearly in devaluation mode. And even if one wants to avoid the dollar story, whether the dollar is going to strengthen or weaken, or whether China is going to be disorderly or orderly, it's clear to me that the Chinese currency is going to devalue. So you can also look at, um, uh, we've discussed this trade before, the, the Chinese yuan weakening versus the, the Japanese yen, which was uh, incredibly weak after all of the uh, rounds of Japanese QQE. That trade has already uh, suddenly uh, been a massive performer here with all the turmoil at the beginning of the year. But you could also look at uh, the, a basket of currencies versus the Chinese currency to say, no matter what, against the major currencies, the Chinese currency is lower. So that avoids a dollar story, or is the U.S. economy strengthening, et cetera. Even if China is relatively stable or very weak, I think the currency has weaker. So it's, it's a way to sort of isolate how you want to trade it uh, versus knowing whether we, you know, how, how well the Chinese authorities are going to manage this transition that we'll discuss to the more services and consumption directed economy from its over-reliance on investment, etc. And it's important to keep in mind that when I say that the U.S. economy will outperform and even also the global economy, it's relative to the current sentiment going around in markets. Uh, if we look at actual growth figures, then we are not having very impressive growth. Uh, 
whether we look at the US or the global economy, we're looking for uh, just shy of 3% for both. So it's not impressive. And we do have some, uh, some areas of the world, of course, um, hampering growth, emerging markets, as we talked about already, and China consistently putting up lower and lower growth figures. We've been below consensus for several years now. We'll continue to be con uh, below consensus on this whole structural shift in the economy, uh, which has been uh, perhaps uh, underestimated how much it will hamper growth. So we are seeing Chinese growth, growth sliding and we are seeing emerging market growth being quite low due to exposure to commodities and US uh, dollar denominated debt. But relative to that, the US economy should fare better than what we are hearing at the moment in, um, in the markets. So before we wrap up this podcast, any final thoughts from you gentlemen? Uh, I think the Fed is, is very much doing policy in the rearview mirror at this point. It's, uh, we had so much during the, during the age, age of, of QE, uh, we had this attempt at forward guidance, which was easy when that, that inflection point of actually doing something with policy was, was so far out on the horizon uh, back with QE2 and 3 and so on. But now we're at, at the, where the metal or the rubber hits the road, if you will, on actual interest rate hikes, we realize it's, it's simply about incoming data. How, how is it looking? And I, I don't think their forward guidance is very, uh, policy is, is very effective. They've often tripped over it in the, in the recent past. They tripped over it in 2015. It looked like they were going to hike in September. China, China derailed them. They finally did so in December, et cetera. So I think it's really going to be about the fundamentals as much as, as the central bank policy making and, and new signals. And I think uh, above all, just keep a very close eye on oil prices because uh, we, have a, we have a whole sector uh, in distress. We have a stock market which has become increasingly, stock trades increasingly watching oil prices than anything else. So uh, it has just become a big theme. So uh, we need to see the, when we see signs that the market is stabilizing uh, and we, we could, that could also be uh, a good time for, for stock markets because uh, it is the uncertainty that they are still driving uh, companies, uh, company stocks lower and the equities overall, the equity market overall uh, weaker. So obviously if we see China, uh, starting to stabilize a bit, then that will also remove some of the worries about the uh, demand uh, coming out of China. So keep a close eye on oil prices. Amas, final note from you. Uh, that'll be a short one uh, following up on John. Thank God that uh, we'll see more uh, uh, divergence also uh, internally in asset classes and in particular in equities, where for a long time it's just been whether to invest in equities or not. Let's go back to actually look at the fundamentals, see which companies are doing well, which aren't. Uh, which can handle low oil prices uh, and which companies can't and so on. It's much more exciting. So uh, I actually uh, is, uh, is interested in how 2016 will turn out uh, from an equity perspective um, with uh, more research going into uh, the fundamentals of companies and not just what is the central bank doing to hamper or improve asset prices, in particular equity prices. And on that note, it's time to wrap up this podcast. You can find more analysis from the Saxo Bank strategist on tradingfloor.com and by following the team on Twitter.